everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the communications coordinator at High Point Church. We've been doing an Ask Me Anything time with Nick, our lead pastor, at the end of our Sunday services and answering any questions that we didn't get to in these podcast episodes. In this episode, Nick, Lloyd, and Nicole are going to address the questions that focused on racial injustice and reconciliation. As always, if you have any more questions from listening to this episode, email us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. We'd love to have you join us for our future AMA times at highpointchurch.org slash live. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. I am here with Pastor Lloyd and Pastor Nick. And Hello. Hey there. And my name is Nicole. We all work at High Point Church together, and we are... Um, going to cover some of the questions that we didn't get to from last Sunday's AMA section. Um, however, first question, first question, Lloyd, did you have a good anniversary trip with your wife? I had a wonderful anniversary trip uh, with my wife and uh, it, it was a little bit uh, interrupted on, I think it was Saturday night when some of the protesting uh, about the George Floyd's killing was starting to bubble up especially mm-hmm. in Madison. And we were like, where's our son who's on campus and mm-hmm. how is he doing and, and disconnecting mm-hmm. with our family. But other than that, we had a great time. I would recommend Sundower Spa in the Dells to anyone. Good time. Good. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. So um, I do, before we jump in, I want to say a couple of things. Uh, the first is that we had a lot of questions that were specifically related to racial injustice that we are currently talking a lot about and trying to move towards one another in in a, both in our city, in our church, in our nation. Most of the questions are about that. We did have a couple that were more specific to the sermon. We're not going to address those today. Um, we might maybe we'll send you an email or maybe we'll come to them another time but we're we're going to focus on racial injustice the thing i another thing i want to say is that one conversation is not sufficient to cover all of the intricacies that surround racial injustice we're not trying to do that in this conversation i want to make that really clear there are lots of other things that we're doing in our church to pursue reconciliation, to talk about these topics, to educate ourselves, to learn from one another. This is just one conversation. So if you're hoping for one podcast to listen to, to fully understand all this, this is not the episode for that. We're just going to cover specific questions that we received, and we're going to work through those. The other thing uh, is that Nick preached the sermon, and normally whoever preaches the sermon is the person who's going through the AMA. However, we want to hear from Lloyd, and we want to learn from you, Lloyd. And we want, mm-hmm. um, and so we're going to have a time where we go through these questions. Lloyd is going to answer these questions. Nick might speak to them some as well, um, but we really want to learn from Lloyd. And so not that we don't want to learn from Nick. We just think that it's important right now. We get a lot of opportunities to learn from Nick. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to get those things out there right away from the beginning, and then um, and then we can jump to it. Sound good? Anything else that we need to say before we head into the questions? All right. um, only, I guess I would just say, this is one African American pastor's perspective yeah. on yes. the issues, and I don't I don't pretend to be the the standard bearer on this issue. But right. if you can learn from some of the things that we're talking about today, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for saying that, Wade. Yeah. All right. So we're going to dive right in with a big question. Mm. This first question says, how would you say the gospel directly addresses racial injustices? Um, one of the great things is that at High Point, we just uh, finished, not too, not too long ago this fall, a series in Ephesians where the core of the of the message in Ephesians is how uh, Jesus Christ and the gospel breaks down spiritual walls of separation between Jews and all Gentiles. And so uh, th- uh, in our times, this issue is primarily seems to be affecting uh, Gentile believers, European Americans, African Americans, Asian Americans, etc., Latinos. And so, but, uh, but the gospel breaks it all down by making us one new body, the church. Uh, and giving us one standard uh, bearer, Jesus Christ, that we all look to, and his gospel. And then from that, the gospel points us to each other. So it tells me as an African-American to look after your interests, and it tells you 
who may not be an African-American to look after mine. And so we have this mutuality of expectation that the gospel brings to us and we are family. And that's what breaks down racial injustices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was something that I really appreciated when we were going through, um, through that season or series in Ephesians um, that we talk a lot about Ephesians two, eight and nine, which talks about our reconciliation with God. But then when you get through 11 through 22, that's our reconciliation with each other. And so I think, yeah, there was a one particular sermon where whoever was preaching was saying like, just as much as we try to believe two, eight and nine and let it impact everything in our lives, we have to do the same with 11 through 22 as well. That's right. Yeah. That that something has fundamentally changed through the Spirit and through faith in Christ, where we can uh, set aside our real cultural differences for our unity in Christ and His love, His truth, His justice um, becomes our penultimate ambition, and that enables us to uh, to lay aside our, our other differences. Okay, let's go to the next question. Um, This is referring specifically to something that Nick said in his sermon. So Nick, Mm -hmm. I'll have you clarify this first, and then we'll come back to Lloyd. Um, Nick, you made some comments about slavery and temporal judgment. Could you um, just remind us what you said about that? Yeah, I might be wrong, but I think it was based on a quote from George Mason. And the, the idea is that in final judgment, Christians believe there's a final judgment in which God will judge each person either on the merits of Christ or on their own merits, right? And we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, to quote the scriptures. That's not true for America. America is not going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ at the end, nor is Assyria or anybody else, right? And Mason's argument was, because nations are the conduit of, a conduit of human action, and because they can't be judged eternally or finally, God must judge them temporally Mm. and does all through the scriptures. So nations can be judged and will be judged in a way God may not judge individuals because he can wait till the end for them, right? And Mason believed that because of the injustice of slavery, right, that God must judge the United States if we don't do something for it, which is exactly what Lincoln thought in his inaugural address where he explicitly says that he believed that all of the devastation of the Civil War could be attributed to the unrequited toil of America's slaves throughout its history. That God was exacting a payment for that, and he—I mean—he believed that, and he said that in his inaugural address. So, um, I, I think that that's probably theologically true. And America is not any more immune to divine judgment than anything else. And in the Bible, divine judgment sometimes is a complete destruction of the nation entirely, and sometimes it's just a chastening in a certain kind of way, mm-hmm. or a turmoil, or something like that. And so. And in most judgments are meant to be therapeutic. They're meant for people to say, hey, wait, we can't keep going this way and we need to change. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So there's lots of different kinds of divine judgment. But yeah. that, but I think that idea of corporate judgment temporally for those theological reasons, I think is probably accurate. And just to add into it, Nicole, before you kick in, is um, I think you, this is factually true. You can check the data. Uh, more Americans died in World War or, or in the Civil War. Than all other wars combined, you go add up the deaths, and uh, and you'll find that to be the case, and that that suggests that there's some kind of judgment perhaps was being exacted on the country during that time. Um, there were ministers that wrote tracts about how it was the end times. This was the mm-hmm. end, yeah, because it was that horrible and its devastation to the entire nation. Yep. Yeah. So, Lloyd, how do you see that idea applying to our current context with respect to racism? Judgment. Um, as a as a human being, just reflecting on the times that we live in, I can't say for sure what God is uh, trying to to communicate to our nation. Um, my reflection, though, on the circumstances is that there is a real um, serious uh, disunity that seems to be plaguing our nation. And during uh, times like this, where we're about to go into another presidential election, and during times when we have these crises of African-American men 
being um, being killed uh, at the hands of uh, police officers, sometimes clearly unjust, sometimes not 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 so clear. Um, these things tend to just bubble up in our in our society, and um, and that that results in protests, that results in riots. And then other people kind of react to that. You you seem to be be asked to choose a side, right? Uh, am I am I for the people of color or, or am I for the police, mm-hmm. right? That's that seems to be some of the the narrative, and because these incidents seem to be happening more often, uh, that polariz- polarizing effect seems to be uh, taking place. And so I think it's just more urgent now than ever that. Uh, Americans in particular I'm talking about mm-hmm. uh, have good solid relationships uh, cross culturally where they feel like they know people mm-hmm. where they can slow down and really begin to understand the issues uh, I feel like I had a conversation like that yesterday with with Nick mm-hmm. where we were we were just talking through some of the details of a couple of the most uh, uh, recent deaths of African-American men, George Floyd and Armand Aubrey, to just just listen more carefully. Yeah. And at the end of the conversation, I felt like I understand better uh, different perspectives. As an African-American, I look at the, the end, the dead African-American at the hands of, uh, let's say, a white police officer. Other folks are saying, okay, how do we get to that point? Mm-hmm. And once you do both of those pieces of work, sometimes, sometimes you can begin to understand things a little bit mm-hmm. differently, right? Yeah. So slowing down, having good conversations, um, connecting with people um, uh, who are not like you in age, in race, and culture, mm-hmm. uh, with a listening ear. With a with a with an ear to listen mm-hmm. um, can help us during times like this. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, even among yeah. Christians, like we have the gospel, we we believe in Christ. Um, evangelical Christians, in particular, believe in the authority of the Scripture, and even we can disagree on stuff. Right, right. And what that means is that we've really got to make every effort to keep the unity of the faith, right? right. We got to, we got to really right. uh, practice Ephesians for yeah. uh, carefully as possible. I've got, I have a question follow up to that. So Lloyd, as you were yeah. talking and this is a, correct me if this is not what you were saying, but yeah. as we were talking, it sounded like you were saying specifically as it relates to, to what we are experiencing right now, yeah. some of the destruction that we're experiencing is, is a result of our sin. And it yeah. is the consequence we experience for our sin. Do you see that consequence itself as a form of God's judgment? Are they different things? I'd love to hear what you think, Lloyd, about that. And then, Nick, you can speak to that, too. Yeah. Um, the consequence of, of sin. Um, for, for sure, at, on an individual level, God has has promised that you will reap what you sow Galatians chapter six. If you slow to the flesh, you reap corruption to the spirit life. And so I think on an individual level, we certainly do uh, reap what we sow. Um, And um, so that, that is, that is clear and that does happen. Uh, and, and that's justice for us. In fact, one of the things that outrages us is that when we don't see that operating in our society, that angers us, right? right? And so I, I'll just speak to how a couple of ways this is working. And so um, uh, sh- should th- this officer uh, who killed Floyd, um, the, most people look at the videotape of eight, nine minutes and say, man, that was excessive and unnecessary and Maybe close to murderous, right? And and most people say he needs to. There needs to be judgment. There needs to be justice. There needs to be justice, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then the the looting that has taken a place across uh, the nation, where people have you know many times separate from the protest, so peaceful protests, right? And then later off, uh, an offshoot 
of looting and vandalism and so forth. And people will say, man, look at those businesses and those homeowners who've been affected. And there's the criminal. And is there going to be justice? Hmm. Right. And so and so when we don't see it, that 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 justice that tends to breed um, um, division among people. Uh, especially if if you look and say, uh, see, uh, these people are getting off, and these people are not like me, and 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 those people are being convicted, right? And so and so, yeah, there is an issue of justice that we feel needs to happen, and so we we hope that God. I think we hope that uh, through divine providence, and other, those who are non Christians wouldn't think of it this way, but Christians would say we hope that through divine providence that. That God deals with sinners in real time, mm-hmm. not just at the at the end, right when He separates unbelievers from believers, but now right. that we will see justice in our time. I think David says that in one of the Psalms. I would have almost fainted if I hadn't seen the goodness of God in the land of the living, and that, and that's that's how we humans are geared. That's how God has made us in His image. I think. Yeah, Nick. How would you? speak to that too. Yeah. I mean, this might get a little too theologically technical for some, but um, uh, there's five forms of God's judgment talked about in the Bible from a systematic theology perspective. There is God's eternal wrath. That is his judgment of hell, his eschatological wrath, which is the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, that, that particular moment. Then there's his cataclysmic wrath. That's when he allows some big natural disaster, something to happen in the earth that is um, tumultuous, his forsaking wrath. That's when he like, he stops helping you and allows just the consequences just to take place mm-hmm. um, where, where he would have supernaturally been doing something mm-hmm. and he no longer does. And then there is his um, consequential wrath or the wrath of sowing and reaping. Like you, you get what you put sure. out there. Mm-hmm. And so I think that a lot of people would say providentially that, that we have at least some sowing and reaping wrath going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it, it it might be more than that. There may be some forsaking wrath because we may not, as a people, we may not be calling out for God's help and asking him to help us and Mm -hmm. so on, you know? So, and I think that you could put the coronavirus under cataclysmic wrath that these sorts of terrible kind of natural things happen Mm -hmm. that should affect us that that, that we don't have to say, Oh, this is God hurting us, but just, but for our life to be disrupted enough for us to remember God, Mm. because the greatest human drawing away from God is just, we just forget usually because of prosperity, not as much because of suffering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So the next question is mm-hmm. a statement and then the person wants you to respond to that statement. Mm-hmm. All right. Statement says, unless massive numbers of whites join protests against racially motivated injustices nationwide, racially motivated brutality in America will not stop. How do you respond? I think what I would say, uh, whether uh, an individual person chooses to protest or not, that I think what would really help is when we see an injustice and we speak out about it, right? So now that these instances are being filmed by people's cell phones, they're coming in front of people's faces, and then we're being asked to, to judge. And I think what people want, what African-Americans want is for, for folks to say who are not African-Americans, yeah, you see that? That's just wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's wrong. And that needs to stop. Mm-hmm. And that would go a long way towards, I think, healing some of these issues because many African-Americans believe that for years we've been talking about things like police brutality, for instance, and nobody's been willing to listen. Yeah. And uh, I think when people can honestly say, see a situation, recognize that it's brutal and unnecessary and call it out, uh, that's a good thing. And we see that happening. We see that happening right now here in Madison um, with with pastors and, and individual citizens. And I do believe that that has a healing effect. And I also believe it has a healing of effect when... Uh, people call out the looting and say that that's sin too. Uh, so, so yes, I think whites need to join in and they need to, when they see injustice that's uh, against minorities, they should, they should call it for what it is. And I think that would really be, be helpful. 
Can I ask a follow-up question? Sure. Yep. So there's this, I think, kind of really funny bit from, um, oh man, who's the stand-up comedian that just did a series on Netflix? African-American guy used to do like SNL. He's really funny. Oh, um, I'm trying to think it was. Gosh, I can't think of his name right now. I can't believe I can't think of his name. I I didn't see the series, so I couldn't. He's like really skinny. He's in love with Halle Berry. Anyway, so anyway, he he talks about the he talked about the Jesse Smollett incident in his yeah. in his routine. Yep. And he said like you know Smollett like made the charges yeah. and the gay community like totally came out for him. Yeah. And the black community kind of didn't. Right. And they said that you know he said you know the gay community said we weren't supporting Jesse Smollett and he yeah. said we were supporting Jesse Smollett with our silence because this man was clearly lying. Right. 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 Um, now that's right. A strange introduction to part of the issue is the speed at which people react. Yes. Right. So there were some folks that, so like, for example, in the Minneapolis case with George Floyd, these police officers were, were fired immediately, effectively immediately. Mm -hmm. And then they, in one day, it seemed like, I think it was one day Mm -hmm. they opened a FBI or agreed to open an FBI investigation. Um, it took a little, a couple of days to press, do charges, but I think it's probably because they needed a certificate of death and they right. needed to gather a little bit of evidence to know what charge to charge him with, you know, yeah. at least to start with, whether it would be a murder charge or not. Mm-hmm. But that happened still pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And so, they, but there were some folks that were just kind of like, we still need to protest and, some, and still need to. And I was like, this is the fastest movement towards justice I have ever seen in one of these cases. I mean, it was, yes. no, nobody seems to be defending this guy. Right. Everybody seems to be on the same page, and yet that seemed too slow for some folks. Yeah, right? let me, can I speak yeah. into that real quick? Yeah. So African Americans are, we say, uh, in the past, even when charges have been filed against officers who may be guilty, we look at the end of the situation. Um, in uh, uh, the situation in in California some years ago where this one Rodney King situation. Anyway, many police officers, lots of beating, right? African-Americans looked at this and said, oh my God, they couldn't, they couldn't bring him in without 10 minutes of that. But anyway, officers charged, which was, which was good. People wanted to see the officers charged and then the officers were exonerated. So African-Americans, they're always thinking, yeah, there's a charge, but we need to make sure that there's a conviction because that's when the justice is being really served. And so, Nick, I think that's why you see some of these protests. I think people are saying, they're saying both, yeah, this was wrong. And they're saying, boy, we, this needs to be, this people, they need to be convicted for the, for the crimes. And I think that's where people speaking in to say white people speaking into the case to say, hey, this is really wrong is, is helpful because that's, we're looking for that, that part of justice to say. Uh, as African Americans, we're like we feel like people know how to put us in prison for crime, mm-hmm. and we're just saying, okay, when the when the crime is on the side of the law enforcement, yeah, let's be equally just in in putting them in in prison. That that's some of the thinking that's going on here as we sort through these issues. I'm sure that these police officers are not going to be defended by public defendants. Right, that's public right. They're going to have great. They're going to have great uh, uh, counsel. Yeah. Yeah, because the union, right? I mean, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But, but so, so yeah, I think I hope that gets to the, the core of the question. Um, they, when they see the injustice, speaking out is very, it's very helpful. Let me. Can I ask you another follow yeah, question to that? Sure. Yeah. So here, let me. This is going to be a very concrete example. So if okay. you want to generalize this to a non-concrete example, you're okay. welcome to do that. Sure. Well, for example, there's going to be a uh, African American. Pastors led march this coming Sunday. I think yeah, it is. That's right. right. Yep. And one of the things that Marcus Allen at um, at uh, Mount Zion Church has said, one of the things white pastors can ought to do, or white Christians ought to do, is march with us. Right. Right. Now, I you know me, I know that if I go to that march and I march with them, which I would really like to do, right. Right. Some things are going to be said that I will not agree with. Right. Me too. There's some things going to be said that I don't agree with. Right. <laughs> Go ahead. No, that's, so, good. that's good. So I'm kind of using the same logic here I used yeah. in signing the statement against racism that we signed as an elder board recently. Yeah. But there's some stuff in there where we, on the elder board, we're kind of like, 
I mean, I don't know if this is as like literally as true. Yeah. Like, you know, this is kind of slated in certain kind of language. And but we were kind of like, you know, when Nehemiah repented on behalf of the nation, he didn't necessarily commit personally all those sins. But there was this kind of corporate, even maybe even overdoing it in a way, yeah. repentance of absolutely cleaning the decks and cleaning the slate and going as far as you could possibly go in an apology. Yeah. And and not actually getting too persnickety about like, is this all literally exactly true? Um, in the in, but like to, to it, that it's in some ways it's the the tenor. Anyway, the point is, do I march with them? Mm. Right, and, and, and mentally I'm thinking I that I'd go along with the same logic I used in signing the race statement on racism. That I I don't believe this is all analytically exactly correct, right. but I believe with I want to stand with people and say I want these things to change. Yeah. Is that enough? You know, am, you know. So what do you think about that kind of thing? Like if if a Christian's listening to this and they're thinking. What should I do? Like, I mean, I kind of agree, but I also don't totally agree with all the politics or the policy proposals. Like, like the NAACP yeah. came out yesterday, I think, or the day before, saying that they wanted the UN to sanction the United States for human rights violations because of how we treat African Americans, which I, I think is a really bad international policy relative to what China is doing and to right, make right. things more equivalent. I don't, I don't think it's probably very wise. So, you know, that that kind of thing, like. Yeah. So just get out there and just, you know, try to be a positive influence and don't worry about exactly what's said or Man, this this stuff is really uh it's complicated and I can't give a blueprint. So yesterday uh Pastor Mike sent me an article from Christianity Today about pastor in Tennessee and and how uh when he took over his pastorate in Tennessee at a white church, he searched for an African American to kind of partner with in ministry to be confidants. And he, as he wrote this article, he said, when this African-American whom I trust calls me uh, to go and do something with him, I just do it out of trust. And he explained why he does it and what the benefits to it have been in that. And for instance, one, one example is they were at a situation where there was a protest and this African-American pastor was leading a prayer situation. Uh, some pretty volatile protesters came and he saw how the the African-American pastor invited the protesters into the prayer meeting where they could then begin to have a more calm dialogue. And he was like, I never would have seen that if I, if I didn't, if I wasn't there. Um, oh, in my own um, choosing to march, Pastor, Pastor Marcus did a prayer walk about two years ago. And I forget what the instance was. It was something having to do, I believe it was crime. Uh, in, in, in the area. And Pastor Marcus called a prayer walk uh, f for his congregation and the whole community. And I chose to go. I chose to pray. Uh, chief Koval was there, who was the police chief of Madison at the time. Many, many folks came to pray. Uh, I, I probably will, Nick, go to, the, to the, this upcoming African-American Association of Churches walk on Sunday because of the because of many of the pastors there, I consider to be, if not friends, colleagues, and in support of them. But I, I guess I'm, I wouldn't say general. I wouldn't give a general prescription to say, yeah, you should, you should always do this or that. I think we should always be looking for ways that we can reconcile mm -hmm. cross-racially now. I think that's, that's the thing. And then we, yeah. should, we should look for things that, that fit our that don't violate our conscience in order to participate mm -hmm. in them. I had a friend reach out to me this past Tuesday. If you're familiar with Instagram and social media, a lot of people were posting a black square blackout Tuesday as an, it kind of like a social media protest in a way, but it was yeah. an effort to say, I want to listen. I don't want to, I don't want to give all of my ideas as a non-black person. I want to yeah. listen to black voices in my life. And I had a person, a friend of mine reach out to me to say, well, What's your opinion? Now, I'm not black. My dad yeah. is from Mexico. I grew up in a bicultural home. I look white, um, but she wanted my opinion. And I essentially, whether or not she should post, I was like, I'm not going to tell you whether or not you should post that square and participate. But my question to you is, what else are you doing? What mm. conversations are you engaging it with? Um, like, who are the people who are already in your life, who are people of color, specifically who are black folks in your life? Who are you talking to? And what what are you and what books are you reading? And who are you trying to learn from? And what are, what are the other things and the other ways that you're participating in trying to grow yourself in this? Not just saying, okay, I, I participated in a protest. I'm going to check the box. No, I, I don't think that 
anyone. I mean, that's not really the main point of this part of the conversation. However, I want to use this to kind of segue into the next question, which is, um, I mean, because the, her question, I think, was an effort to know, like, what can I do? Is this mm-hmm. good? Are there other things I should do? And I think that there are a lot of people who aren't Black who are asking that. So here's here's what this person wrote. Mm. What can predominantly white churches do to create better social justice education within their congregations? As someone involved in ethics education, I find that a major obstacle to white concern for social justice is a lack of familiarity with the data, the history, and the experiences of oppressed people. How can churches be winsome, kingdom-centered, and ambitious in their promotion of social justice education? Mm. Nick, I'm going to take a quick stab. And I know that you personally spend a lot of your own personal time uh, familiarizing yourself with the data trying to understand the circumstances uh, of all kinds of of people's oppressed peoples. Um, So I was uh, watching uh, TV, I think this weekend in PBS and a series I never was aware of came on the air. It was called uh, Latin Americans. Uh, This was a six hour uh, document documentary on the plight, the historical plight of Latin Americans in a, uh, of Latinos in America. And um, I need to buy that series. Uh, um, I grew up in a city where there was lots of racial diversity, but in terms of knowing the history at at any level of detail, whether it be Cuban Americans in Miami or Mexican Americans in California, Florida, and and many other uh, Latino immigrants have come, I just, I don't know enough. And so I've got to choose to educate myself so that I understand the issues better. And um, so, so I know I've got to do stuff. And uh, now, now, how can we help the church come along? I don't know, Nick. I think I'm going to leave that one to you. Um, uh, uh, there, uh, it, it really depends. It, it really depends on how, how much the leaders who have to treat the have to have to let the gospel proliferate in the churches. Like that's the first and foremost thing then how much can you then devote to some of these sociological issues that are important? Those are, those are things, decisions that have to be made. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess there's two things I'd say about this. The the first is, is that I believe that one of the ways um, politically obsessed people terrorize the rest of us is that they want us to know everything about every political issue. And if we don't, we don't care about any human beings that we want to demoralize, dehumanize everyone. Yeah. Like, yeah. People are living their lives. They do not have time, nor do they have responsibility to know everything about everything and what should be done about everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's one of the reasons why for most of the history of our country, all races recognized that there were certain basics of personal morality that everybody was supposed to master and become a virtuous person. Mm-hmm. Virtuous people are not racist personally. Mm-hmm. And if no one was personally racist, we would have less trouble with systemic racism. Right mm-hmm. now, that, that's still not going to be totally enough. But I think that there, with uh, the more we increase our obsession with politics, the more we decrease our obsession with personal virtue, and that is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, secondly, in relationship to political discourse and action, in in terms of policy making and so on, again, most of the people who do this for a living are ignoramuses. They have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, these are the people who are on the news programs. Okay. And they're not that smart and they don't know what they're talking about. And most of them have been completely politically captured by a group that they're a part of. And they're just regurgitating talking points that do not come from scholars, but that come from political action groups. Okay. And so that's a problem. So what you end up having to do over the course of your life is to build a constellation of colleagues of people who you think are thoughtful and careful. And then you end up believing them when they talk. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody does all the vilifying and all of that. Mm-hmm. Because if you decide person A, B, or C is like just a, a clear headed, level headed person, I you know, I like that person. That's that's the way most normal people function. And what I'm here to tell you is in terms of human nature and in terms of natural function, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, even in Madison, when I used to vote when I first got here, there were a couple of people I would call up in every election and say, Who am I voting for? They knew my general philosophical predilections and they knew the candidates a lot better than me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they'd tell me what I was voting for. And I voted for those people because 
you can't know everything about everything. Not yeah. even politicians do. Yeah. A lot of politicians now do not even read the bills that they have supposedly written. Yes. They are literally written by the social action groups and the lobbyists. That they write them, and then the you know the the the, the senator's office goes over it a little bit, and then it goes into the public record. Right. And like how we're supposed to know? I mean, most people have no idea what policies African Americans really need for us to happen. And and you talk to African American Latino leaders, and they're befuddled themselves. There'll be disagreement, right? There'll be yeah. disagreement, right? Yeah. And sometimes they'll even say, like, I literally talked to a couple of those leaders this week. Yeah. I was like, okay, at the end of the day, what do you what belief-based actions do you want to happen? And they were like, um, we just want things to get better. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, they feel like suspending less kids of color from school might help things like that right but even that is still kind of vague like all you're talking about is quotas now we, we're not talking about what produces things or what causes them or what kind of teacher changes need to take place or what additional actions within i mean all those mm-hmm. very complicated things still aren't being discussed right so so i think for the average person um the church helping people grow in spiritual virtue yeah acting together as a church, taking care of other people and being as multi-ethnic a church as possible. Right. Lloyd and I went to a conference where they talked about, you know, the most effective multi-ethnic service happens when people go to the same church and know each other. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, so that's big too. And then, and then you just got to pick who you're going to believe. But getting that to happen is, as you know, Nick, very difficult. Go ahead, Nicole. Yeah. I want to, I want to ask a question to you, Lloyd, about the same sort of thing. So, um, I have seen a lot on social media lately about like, okay, non-black folks, can Mm -hmm. you educate yourselves? Stop putting the responsibility on your black friends Mm -hmm. to educate you. Um, And I I, I would like to, I'm going to share a little bit of my thoughts Mm -hmm. again, just as me. And then hear what you think, Lloyd, because I I was talking with a friend about this um, and, and she, I said something to her about like, you know, when, when families who are immigrating, through Mexico were being separated. I don't really think I had very many people, if anyone, and I'm saying maybe there were someone to try and be gracious, but I don't think anyone reached out to me and said, well, like, how does this make you feel? How does this affect you? Having had a father who emigrated to the United States through Mexico. And I had feelings about it, but I didn't really have anyone ask me what I thought. I talked about it mostly, I think just with my family. Um, And, and I, don't have all the answers and I don't, I don't want, presume to want to educate all my friends on what the right answer should be. Cause I don't have the answers either. But mm-hmm. if the, if the close friends in my life would have said something to me, I think it would have meant something to me to know that they saw this situation, thought of me, wondered how it might make me feel, wanted to say something to me. Now, again, I, that's a different experience than what black people are experiencing right now. But I, I want to hear your response to that. Cause I, I do think that there are, I've had these conversations. I know of friends personally. I myself have felt this where we've, there's a mm-hmm. fear of like, should I say something or not? And that has led to some paralyzation. And I, I'd love to hear your perspective as one black man. I can say this as a person of color. I've never been put off when people came to me in the aftermath of a situation like this or through some other uh, circumstance in our society and said, Hey Lloyd, uh, I'm just interested. I don't know. Uh, can, can help me share, share with me what your thinking is on this issue. And that that's never been a put off uh, for me. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it would have been a put off for you in your example, Nicole, if somebody had come and said to you, hey, Nicole, I know you're a Mexican-American and this, this issue is becoming more prominent. How are you doing? Or Help me understand to the best of your ability. Try to help me understand the issues. Right. Um, I think where the where the challenge uh, can be, especially acute in a place like um, like Madison is. If you are a person of color and now you got 50 people coming at you trying to help help you, they they want you to help them understand these issues and what your perspective is. And you know, you just can't do it. And in my email right now, I've got a lot of folks that kind of want to engage with me personally on these issues. And I just don't have the capacity to be able to, to, to do that for all of these folks. Right. Uh, 
that so that is a limiting that's a limiting factor. Yeah. So to that end, that's where if you really do want to know where you can be proactive and get on Google and start looking around for resources that you would trust that you think come from trusted sources mm-hmm. that you can begin to build your knowledge and yeah. uh, on these issues. And I'll say to that end, like I've started compiling my own list as I've seen things um, recommended, especially as I've seen things recommended multiple times. I'm like, all right, I yeah. want to read this. I want to watch this. I want to listen yeah. to this. But I'm, I also think that like even having this conversation with you for me is helpful because this gives some understanding to, yeah, that, that's exhausting if you've got 50 different people, varying levels of intimacy in that relationship asking right. you for the same thing, right? Yeah. 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 There's only so much you can, yeah. you can do. Do you guys make a distinction between people asking you how you feel or how this is hitting you versus like when people say, white people educate yourselves? Yeah. I have a very cynical response to that because I'm kind of like, are you as educated as you think you are? (laughs) Like if somebody asked me, Nick, what should be done to white people in Appalachia who are getting addicted to opioids? It's a crisis. How do you feel? Like, what do you think? Like what should happen? I'd be like, okay, first of all, I don't know. Like what? Like, yeah, it's it's terrible. I feel bad that that's happening to people. Right, I right. feel even worse than it's happening in my family. Right. And I I can't but the idea that I I know what public policy is required right. and what like economic changes might be necessary. It's preposterous. It's preposterous. <laughs> right. Yeah. And right. think that like the average black person knows the American rates of police brutality relative right. to other races in different regions of the country, relative to different mayoral races. And uh, it's right. just crazy. Right. And so like when black people go educate yourself, if what they mean by that is, look, we all get called names at some point in our life. Look, like right. I get treated this, like if that's what they mean, like educate, but here's the problem with that if what you're asking me to educate myself on is your experience, then by definition, that's right. literally the only thing I can't educate myself on. That's right. I actually require you to educate me. Yeah. If what you want me to educate myself on is black history, yeah. I think that that's an acceptable claim. Totally. Yeah. For me to know, especially as a leader, I don't know if that's true for every single white person. Right. But for me as a leader, that's why I've read several thousand pages of black history in the mm-hmm. world. just last not that long. Yeah. And yeah. keep keep reading more and more and more. And right. on economic public policy and so on, right? Right. And I, I think that's legitimate. If it's that I should know what the right political prescriptions for African Americans are, that I should quote educate myself. I don't right. I don't but yeah. I don't think would anybody really ask I, I nobody's asked me that. <laughs> nobody's asked me at that level of detail. To, yeah, to describe well, what the what the detailed solutions would be. Well, because more, more, right. more of the conversation is how do you feel about this? Uh, generally, you know, uh, what's your response to this this circumstance? Is more that kind of thing. But, that I, I but I literally have had people of color tell me to go educate myself on statistical things and and oh, gotcha. prescriptions. Gotcha. Gotcha. And when I did, I found that I thought that they were dead wrong. Gotcha. I'm with you. you know? And I mean, yeah. it'd be like asking Nicole, like, you know, with these families getting mixed, uh, separated at the Mexican border, yeah. do you think that the overlay of public policy over the last 30 years in relationship to the Southern border and detentions there has been consistent? And is it like, what does she know about that? Unless she literally has gone to find out, but right. she might still feel like, you know, I just identify with these folks and my dad could have been one of those people at one point. Right. And right. like, I just know how much they want to get out of Mexico you know, especially because we buy all these drugs in America, and so there's huge demand to produce them in Mexico, and it's created all kinds of the all kinds of cartel problems, and people want to get out all the more. And like, I understand that, yeah. and her understanding. Anyway, sorry, but yeah, I just think I think you just, when you ask other people to do things out of your own pain, I still think you're you have to take some responsibility for what you do in your own pain. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Okay, very good. Um, here's going to be our last question. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've, we've talked sort of about this, but this is going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask it more directly. Mm-hmm. So this is coming from a person who's saying, I want to join and support the voices calling for justice. I don't want to respond defensively or aggressively. I don't want to make the police, the enemies or the peacekeepers and order enforcers. I want to protest. I don't want to do it wrong. And I, so what I want you to speak to Lloyd is cause I've heard this a lot too, in these, in my own conversations, like mm-hmm. I'm afraid I'm going to do the wrong thing in yeah. trying to participate. How do you respond to somebody who says that? 
Uh, so let me just start with saying, uh, as an African-American person who has some level of privilege, I've been middle or upper middle class for probably 25 years in America. And many African-Americans aren't as quite as fortunate. So, so one of the things I, I'm asked or one of the things I'm compelled to do is to say, how do I help my people? And so that's why I have been tutoring in the public schools in Madison, uh, focusing especially on the needs of black and brown students for the last five, six, seven years. And and then in two schools now, uh, Orchard Ridge and then Glendale Elementary, where I mentored five boys until the COVID-19 breakout. So I've decided that education is the place where I feel like I can make a difference and I want to help tutor kids and I want to advocate for education. My wife has made a similar decision. She's mm-hmm. on the school board at, at Verona. Um, there are some things that you can do. Um, High Point Church has just started a partnership with Shelter from the Storm Ministries, which is a Christian-based organization ran by uh, Tammy Fleming, who is a Latino Christian, evangelical Christian. And but the the most of the residents are African American women who are raising uh, uh, children b- by themselves. It's a holistic ministry who is looking for volunteers. Um, so some of the some of it is to keep your eyes open, to listen to what's, what's what Nick is participating in, what the church, what High Point has been advocating. We send out lots of volunteer opportunities to our small groups mm-hmm. almost every week, uh, asking them to get involved with things like Second Harvest uh, Food Bank, where many of the people who are being served are, uh, are, are under served poor people in Madison, black and brown. And so there so we are there are ways um, that you can get involved and really make a difference cross-culturally in ways that you probably w- would, would feel like you're making a, a difference. Mm-hmm. And so, and so those are some of the things that, that, that I see, um, going on even in our, in our city that you can get involved in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really helpful because I do think that people are looking for really tangible, practical things that they yeah. can do. And I, and I, I think that's good. I think that's a really good thing. Yeah. I, one of the things that I, one of the ways I have responded when I've had friends say that sentiment to me is you probably are going to say the wrong thing. You probably will put your foot in your mouth. You probably will have to apologize, but I, I think it would be a tragedy if you allowed your fear of making those mistakes to prevent you from the beginning the process of trying to move towards reconciliation, especially in personal relationships that already exist in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's very true. And I think the posture, it really depends on your level of humility. Absolutely. And I think if the challenge is, if you think you know more than you do, then that's where we get in where we can get ourselves in trouble. But if you move towards people and say, Hey, I, I, I don't know everything, but I want to hear and I want to help. And if you can get, if you, if you can mm-hmm. find some opportunities where you can get around uh, people of color and where they're doing something that's positive, then, then I think you can both learn culturally as well as help in ways that can break down some of these barriers and problems that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Okay. These are all the questions that we got. Um, are there any last closing thoughts that either of you want to share related to these things? Slow down and listen to people as best as you, as really as best as you can. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's something that I, that I have to continue to practice mm-hmm. and, um, and try and re- really work hard at not being easily offended. Yeah. Um, when when folks say things that you that you don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a very yeah. hard thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Praying for humility specifically for that because I think that's so important to try to not allow the offense to prevent the conversation. Yeah. Maybe one other quick thing is I haven't. 
I need to be reading my Bible more right now. And I'm teaching a class in Ruth, and I'm going to preach a sermon this Sunday uh, at Lighthouse. But in terms of my own devotional reading, because I feel more busy now, I'm feeling uh, not uh, being in the scripture as much for devotional uh, reasons. And this is the time when I actually be, need to be in the word the most. Yeah. So try, I think I would say, try to watch that as best as you can too. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, just for some personal confession. Like that's been something I realized the past week and a half, almost two weeks. I just realized I hadn't been reading my Bible and I'd been really consumed with feeling hopeless and mm -hmm. feeling defeated and discouraged and frustrated. And then I was like, I have not been looking to scripture at all in trying and just spending that time with God and praying to him. And the, the times where I have done that, it has really shifted my posture a lot. That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening through this. Again, I want to reiterate, this is not the only conversation. It's not the only one we're having here at High Point. It's not the only one to answer every question you have about racial injustice. There's, there's so much that we didn't cover but we hope that this is a helpful starting place for some of you. For some of you, we hope it's helpful to further this sort of conversation in your life. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening. Yep, thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.